0: If you would, uh, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians uh, chapter 6, we're going to be in verse 17 uh, this morning, I believe, yep, verse 17. Um, it's kind of bittersweet, we have two weeks left of the Armor of God series, always fun to start one, A little, I get a little teary-eyed when uh, we, we finish one, it's, it's like having a, a spiritual kid, you know, you, you watch them and they come into the world and you birth this idea and then you raise them up by... Uh, delivering him and or her, and then all of a sudden you have to uh, leave them and say, um, "Okay, now you run with this." So um, it's always a little a little teary eyed when I get um, into uh, the end of a series. But we have uh, a message this week and then a message next week, and then um, obviously the question is, where are we going? And uh, we are going to do a couple weeks uh, preparing our hearts for Easter, and. Um, uh, the Easter season, and then after that, we're going to go into the book of Revelation and talk about uh, what does Christ want the church to look like, based off the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. Really, really fascinating study. So that will be um, good. <clears throat> uh, in my study in Ephesians chapter six seventeen this week, uh, an interesting story came up about Mark Twain, and a guy walked up to Mark Twain and he says, um, "Mark, uh, I am." Uh, I am convicted that I need to go to Mount Sinai. I've been to Mount Sinai, and so I was instantly intrigued. And Mark looks at him, and he says, Why do you want to go to Mount Sinai? He says, Man, if I could go to Mount Sinai and read the Ten Commandments at the top of my lungs, I just think God would be so glorified with that that, that endeavor. And uh, Mark Twain looked back at him, um, split second, and he says, why would you want to go to Mount Sinai and read the Ten Commandments when you could stay in the town in which you are at currently and live out the Ten Commandments? And uh, it's interesting, when we read the armor of God, that's what God's desire is for us, that we would live out the truths of the scripture right here where we are at, and uh, right here where we are located <clears throat> If we go to Ephesians chapter 6 and we look at verse 10, Paul tells us, he says, Finally, my brothers and sisters, finally, Christians, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Obtain your strength, not from that which is the physical world or what the physical world has to offer, gain it from the spiritual world, and you put on the whole armor of God. And if this is your first week, this is my friend Carl, and he's only going to be with us for a couple more weeks, and then we're going to uh, put him in the basement or somewhere else where he'll scare people. Um, <clears throat> and he says, put on the whole armor of God, which Carl's been helping us do. And we know that in the starting of the armor of God, it doesn't say it in the text, but it talks about girding up the loins or mental discipline that is needed to prepare for um, the schemes of the devil. 12, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's not who we wrestle against, not ourselves, not our savior. We wrestle against Satan. He is the principality, as we learned a couple of weeks ago, and his uh, delegated authority, which is the demons. And we also wrestle against this world, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This world is not my home. I love what Mark Lowry says, I'm just passing through This is not my home. This world will be burned and a new one will be created for those who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And so when we started this series, we talked about um, the pieces of armor that we constantly keep on. And Paul lists them here. He says, you gird up your loins, mentally preparing yourself so that you will be able to withstand in the evil day, Standing, fastening on the belt of truth, which is the Bible, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, used a, a, a police uh, armor here to illustrate what that means. Christ's righteousness, being disciplined or like Jesus. Shoes on your feet, no matter where God places you, having put on the readiness which is given to us by the gospel of peace. So those pieces of the armor always stay on us as Christians. We talked about a couple weeks ago the importance of sleeping with our shoes on, okay? Always being ready to go where God has us to go. And then he talks about things that we take up so the shield of faith would be in there. And then he says in verse uh, 16, or excuse me, in 17, in the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So there's two more things that we take up here this morning. God, it's your word, uh, not mine, as we say pretty much every week. Uh, This has been kind of the common phrase uh, that's been ushered, but it's so true. This is your truth, and this is your word, and we live by it as Christians. It's our belt of truth. It's the center of our lives, and I pray that that would be the case for everybody who is gathered here this morning, that we uh, not only have a relationship with you through the Son, Jesus, but that we claim all 66 books to be gospel truth that is worth uh, uh, our time and our energy and our effort to study and to implement accordingly. And God, as we study this passage this morning, make it real to us, the helmet of salvation, make it real to us, the sword of the Spirit and how we utilize this word in our everyday lives. I pray right now that all of us, including myself, Uh, would empty ourselves and and that you would soften our heart to the teaching that you have for us this morning so that we can implement it accordingly. We believe that you can do great things and we believe in, in not only you, but we believe in your church and we believe in the opportunities that you give us to make Christ known. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Okay, number one, two things we're going to talk about this morning. Number one, the helmet of salvation, which would be the third thing that you and I are called or commanded uh, by God to take up. Now, um, this is a stocking cap. It is not a helmet, okay? So don't get confused. Um, but it is essentially the modern uh, day equivalent uh, to what we have as helmet or things that protect our head. Now, if you were gathered in the church of Ephesus and you were reading uh, this letter or having this letter being read to you, you would have thought about a Roman soldier's helmet. And again, like the shield, uh, the Roman soldier helmets are a little bit too expensive, okay? And we were too busy modeling the, the gym floor, so we didn't feel it was necessary to um, purchase a Roman helmet. But if you want one, they're online. Go ahead, order them up, all right? Um, you can find like cheap ones for kids, but I didn't want to order the cheap one because I would have broken it, let's just be honest. Okay, a helmet uh, in the Roman time period is one that would have been, um, the way that I think about it is it would have been made out of leather. Now, some of you guys who remember like the starting of the National Football League, you would be reminded of the old helmets that the guys used to wear, right? They were made out of leather um, and, and they were protecting the head, kind of. But then the Romans took it a step further, and they said, well, let's put some metal on top of that leather. And so they molded the metal or had iron workers who would would mold or sculpt the metal to the shape of the head. And then they had these things that came down off of the helmet that looked like 70s sideburns, which some of you had. I've seen your wedding pictures, and I think you should bring them back. You know, no shame in that. So there would be metal side pieces that come down, And the reason and the purpose for a Roman helmet was to deflect the broadswords in hand-to-hand combat. Everybody carried a sword just as much as everybody had a belt, just as much as everybody had a breastplate. And so um, when that sword was coming at your face, you needed some sort of deflection from uh, the sides of your face. So there's cheek pieces to protect the sides of the face from the broadsword attack. Now, we know that this is a figure of speech that Paul is using to us, and what he is saying in, in the modern uh, uh, illustration for us is you need something that is going to protect your uh, head and not just the outer part of your head, but that which is inside your head, which is your mind, Okay? God has given you something in order to protect your mind from wandering into that which is secular and to stay on that which is sacred. God has given you a mind to think, okay? And as we know, the mind is a very terrible thing to waste. Now, the interesting thing is it does not say helmet and then move on to the sword. It says helmet of salvation. And Christ tells us in his word that he will give you a new heart, a new mind, a new way to think about things through Jesus Christ, your salvation. So when we get to that word salvation, I would circle that because it's instrumental that it comes from Christ. The word salvation there means he who embodies or achieves this salvation. It was given to us by Christ. The thing that you have that guards your mind is Christ. He is the one who protects your mind. You have a filter, if you will, that has a protection so that Satan can't get into or penetrate what you think. God has given me his word and his word I consume. In the Old Testament, there was uh, imagery of eating God's word. Christ embodies and achieves our salvation, giving us a new mind and also a hope of future salvation. So there's a lot of people who come to know the Lord, and let me break that down for you, okay? Salvation is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So I had a conversation with somebody, and they said, Jordan, you share the gospel every single week at church, and church is for the believer, and, and they're, they're technically right. And they said, why would you share the gospel every week? We already know that. And I was like, wait, hold on a second. First of all, we don't already know that, Okay. And second of all, the gospel is just as much for me as a believer in the communication of it because it edifies me or encourages me to know what I am saved from and who I am saved by just as much as it is the opportunity for somebody who is lost to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So we communicate the truths of the gospel so that we would be edified as a church and so those who are lost would be saved or evangelized, okay? So he says, this is the future hope, and it's not just for eternity, it is for now. Oftentimes when we get saved or come to believe in Jesus by confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart that he is Lord, we think that salvation is down the road for us when in reality it's right here in front of us for today. The gospel that we have received as Christians is not just hope for things to come. It is also hope now that Christ is with us. He is for us. He is not against us. And he is the one who enables the opportunity for my mind to be protected because of the truths that are in his word. And that's why I study it now. When we talk about the Roman helmet, it's interesting because uh, what happens is we wonder what does the enemy's sword look like that is coming at my head and how am I protected? Well, if Satan is our enemy, so let's say we're standing behind the shield of faith and all of a sudden here comes the sword. What does the sword look like? How do I identify what the sword looks like and how do I defend against the enemy's sword? Number one, Satan's sword is double-edged, okay? The first edge of Satan's sword is that he and his delegated authority, as well as the world's desire, is to discourage you and I as Christians. Satan swings a broadsword of discouragement by pointing out your failures. He says, This is what you have done against God. He points out our sins, he points out unresolved problems in our lives to discourage us. He attacks our minds in this way. He looks at your poor health and he says, obviously your body is failing and because your body fails, God has failed you. Those of us who have been uh, sick with the flu, we have had times of prayer where we have asked God, is this really necessary, right? I mean, what is happening here? Discouragement. The overall discouragement of Satan's broadsword is to have you lose confidence in the fact that God not only loves you, but he cares about you. And through trials and tribulations, failures, sins, unresolved problems, poor health, etc., all of those things, Satan looks at us and he says, I want you to doubt the fact that God loves you and that he cares about you. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. And so, We see uh, some examples of those people who are discouraged. Because sometimes I think I'm alone in that, right? When I get discouraged, I think I'm alone. Uh, we bounce back over in the Old Testament and um, we look at the prophet Elijah. I love Elijah. He's, he's an interesting guy and I'll show you why. Elijah uh, discovered that sometimes we are most vulnerable to discouragement after we've experienced great success. We, uh, Friday we were over at um, Grace College listening to Tim Tebow talk. He's a phenomenal football player. He's not really a great speaker, but he still had some good things to say. Um, People who are sitting next to me didn't like that commentary on it. They uh, had Tebow jerseys on and stuff like that, and I hated to break their bubble, but I did. Um, So you pray for me. Anyway, Elijah discovered that we are sometimes most vulnerable to discouragement just after we have experienced success. I think you and I are most vulnerable to discouragement after we got saved. And let me show you why. Elijah has an opportunity to where he is in essentially a argument with some false prophets. He is trying to prove to his community that God is real and that God exists. And all these false prophets have essentially an altar that they've built. And they said, Elijah, let's have a competition. We will, uh, we will both pray to our gods and <clears throat> whoever's God sets fire to that altar uh, we, we, will, um, we will worship that God. And Elijah's like, yeah, let's, let's do it. And he says, let's up the ante a little bit. Why don't you douse uh, my altar with water? And so here they come like with barrels and barrels of water and they douse Elijah's um, <clears throat> altar. And all of a sudden God shows up in a marvelous and wonderful and mighty way. And whoosh, the altar is consumed with fire and everybody is fascinated by Elijah's God because he shows up In a mighty way. And then all of a sudden. Here's my favorite part of Elijah. He gets to kill 450 false prophets. Love like all the blood and guts of the Old Testament. I just wonder why we don't get to do that today. But that's my prayers and not yours. So. Elijah kills 450 false prophets of Baal. And then all of a sudden, he shows up to the king, King Ahab, and he says, "Uh, uh, King Ahab, I wanted to tell you something from God. Can you imagine walking into President Trump's office and being like, hey, uh, I have a word from God. A lot of you uh, would love to do that, and I understand that. And then you would run uh, away. But anyway, he shows up to King Ahab, and he says, listen, I want you to know that rain will be restored to Israel Uh, because of the living God. And then uh, Elijah, you would just think, is on cloud nine because God is working in and through his life. And then here comes Queen Jezebel. And she says one thing to him. You know what she says to him? In the Bible, it says that she looked at Elijah and she said, so may the gods do to me and even more if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. All that to say, she says, I'm gonna kill you. And Elijah is deflated. You ever been there? One comment, I conquered the world. God showed up in an amazing way. He's working in and through my life. He is awesome. We had a great church service. I led somebody to the Lord last week. My mom got healed from cancer. And here comes your your greatest enemy. And they say one thing to you. And you're like, "Oh, oh, for real? Watch what Elijah does. He runs away. He is afraid, the Bible says, and ran for his life. It's one comment. It's one comment, and he is totally discouraged. He buys uh, the arrow of Satan, and he devours it. Now, here's the crazy thing. The Bible says there Elijah was. He sat down under the juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, is it enough now, Lord, you take my life? For I am not better than my father's. Oh, boo who pity party for the prophet Elijah. And hey, I'm jumping in that boat. I've had pity party for Pastor Jordan before, right? I did two weddings this past month. I mean, sometimes God and I sit down. I'm like, God, I'm not going to church today. I'm not doing this today. Like, I'm exhausted. And he's like, oh, boo who, Pastor Jordan, right? Okay, <clears throat> and you're in that boat because you've done it before. So don't just leave me out to dry. So now here's the crazy thing. God shows up in Elijah's life, okay, because he bought the arrow of discouragement from the devil, and he sends an angel to Elijah, and, and the angel gives Elijah food and water. And you know what he does? He takes the food and water, his energy, to go 40 miles farther away from the Lord. You ever done that? Like, God, I'm depleted, and he's like, here, I'm going to heal you. Go, good Christian soldier. And you're like, great, I'm going to go the opposite Direction, right? And he says, Now watch this. When he's lost, God looks at him and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah twice replied that everything was hopeless and that he was the only faithful Israelite left alive, which is hilarious to me. And the Lord looks at him in a gentle voice and he says, Elijah, you are not alone in the fight. There are 7,000 of your fellow brothers and sisters who have not bowed their knee to Baal. He says, I know you're discouraged because you think you're alone in the fight. Church, I know you are discouraged because you think you're alone in the fight, but there are other brothers and sisters who believe in Jesus, who love our Lord and Savior, who are fighting the same or similar battles. He says, do not lose heart. Do not let that sword hit you in the face. You have to respond back to it. You will remember Job in the Old Testament. The Lord allows Satan, even though he does nothing wrong, to strip Job of every good thing he possesses except for his life. And Job declares to God, even though God would slay me, I'll hope in him. I will refuse to be discouraged. And Job demonstrates character of true saving faith in revealing that he knows that his faith is not connected to the benefits and blessings a person has or loses. Job's helmet deflects every blow against him and he maintains his faith in God's love and care. Jesus does this as he is tempted in the wilderness. When he responds back to the devil, it is written. And there we get our defense against discouragement. How do I overcome discouragement? Discouragement is always one in submission, full submission to the Lord. It's gotta be 100% or nothing. See, in the Bible... Paul talks repeatedly, Peter talks repeatedly, James talks repeatedly, Jesus talks repeatedly about the fact that you should not be discouraged because you do not have a passive faith. You should be encouraged because your faith is active. It is living. It is not something that lays dormant. We accept Jesus Christ as Savior, and then all of a sudden we, we just think, well, uh, when, when I die, God's going to call me home, and you missed it. That is not the gospel. The gospel says, I am here for you now. I want to work in and through you. Let me give you some uh, examples. Christians in the Bible, you are called runners, not standers. You are called fighters. You are called soldiers, doers of good deeds, opponents of Satan, seekers after holiness. And you got countless number of other names in there that denote. Active obedience to God. It's not passive. Sometimes we are the answer to our biggest prayer request because God says, put one foot in front of the other and I will answer that request. But I cannot answer it because you lay dormant. In college, we knew this was true because there were people on my hall that would just pray for a wife. And I'm like, you got to get out of your dorm room and go find her. Right? Lord Jesus I just need a girl, take a shower, cut your hair, bro, get dressed, right? She is sitting in the dining commons waiting for you. But if you don't go to her, it's not going to work, right? Drive driving me crazy. And let me tell you what, I was there for a moment and for a season, and I pursued Bethany like crazy, trying to pr- convince her that the Holy Spirit was active and living in our relationship. That's a whole nother sermon for another day. <clears throat> okay. You are called to be active in your faith, actively gird up your loins, actively access the belt of truth, actively be like Christ. That's one side of the sword is discouragement. Watch this. The other side of the the sword that Satan swings at your head is doubt. If you're not discouraged, you're doubting, okay? Satan causes us to doubt what? Truths about God. God's goodness, his dependability, he causes us to question our salvation, he causes us to question our future home and glory, he causes us uh, to question everything about God. I have a good friend of mine, and um, a lot of you know him, Um, he was a marathon runner and a competitive marathon runner, uh, placed uh, 10th overall in the Chicago Marathon, Crate. nobody should run that fast it's just stupid like he ran five minute and 30 second miles for 26.2 miles okay that's, that's ridiculous some of you over here in this section you're excited your, your ears are perking up because they're runners um <clears throat> but i asked him i said what is it like to run a marathon because i i don't have that desire from god to do that and, and I don't think the Holy Spirit has laid on my heart to run a marathon, okay? And God has affirmed that multiple times to me, okay? And he says, Jordan, listen. He says, you can train for a five, 5K, which is 3.1 miles, 3.2, somewhere in there. Um, you can train for 10 miles. You can train for 15 miles. You can even train for 20 miles. He says, but nothing can prepare you for mile 22 and 23, so, what are you talking about? What's that? What do you mean? He goes, You hit a wall at 22 miles an hour. And I looked at him, and I was like, That's God's voice saying, Stop running. <laughs> right? Running is like hitting your head against the wall. It just feels good when you stop. Okay? So I was like, I was like, <clears throat> It's affirmation from Jesus, bro. And, uh, and I said, What do you do? He says, At that moment, 22, 23 miles you will start to doubt everything that that you know is true. You'll start to doubt your legs. You'll start to doubt your training program. You'll start to doubt your coaches. He's like, you'll doubt everything. And I said, what do you do? He said, you have to have faith to believe that you can keep going after you hit the wall. How many of us have hit a wall in our spiritual life? I mean, where we just are at this moment with God where we're discouraged and we doubt and we're hitting a wall and we're like Thomas, right? Right? Like, I resonate with Thomas in the Bible. The, uh, the, the disciples, here, here's what happens. The disciples run up to Thomas, and they're like, Jesus, he's alive! He's risen! And, and Thomas should, like all good Easter people go, he is risen indeed. And he's like, nope, I don't believe it. <laughs> like, I am Thomas. That's who I would have been. And he runs up to him, and they're like, Thomas, are you crazy? He says, not until I see the holes in his hands and the wound in his side and the holes in his feet will I believe that he is risen. And, and I'm, I'm there. Like, I get there in my life. I doubt God's faithfulness. I doubt uh, uh, him because I'm discouraged in my walk. So how do I overcome doubt? Let me give you just a couple uh, opportunities here. Number one, you've got to dedicate every single day to the Lord. It has to be when you wake up in the morning to dedicate your day. The Christian fight is going to be every single day. Times of doubt will come. And when they come, they will become less frequent if we take advantage of the good times to feed our faith with the word of God. Like we have to be men and women who in the seasons of life that have calm waters rely on this belt of truth, rely on this breastplate of righteousness, rely on this helmet of salvation that God has given to us to protect us from Satan's lies. That even though we stand sometimes in in rough waters with these shoes, that God has given us the ability to know that he is there and that he is with us. And so every season that we have in life is preparation for the next. And so sometimes we are discouraged and doubtful in hard seasons because we did not adequately prepare in seasons that were slow. The second thing, and we talked about this this morning in Sunday school, and this is huge to me, and I don't know why we don't do it, and I'm horrible at it too. we got to pray about everything. The Bible says pray without ceasing. You don't stop. It's constant conversation with God. The very reason that God is allowing a Christian to doubt is so that he or she will depend on him through prayer. See, justification is when you come to God and say, I'm justified under the blood of Jesus that my salvation is secure. Sanctification is the process of becoming like Christ. How do I become like Christ? I spend time with him and I talk to him and I pour out my discouragements to him and my doubts to him. And he says, he says come on, keep it coming. Sanctification is a process of growing in Christ, which includes times of doubt and times of great faith. But there is a story in the Bible that I love. Uh, this man, he has a daughter who is demon possessed and he brings her to the feet of Jesus. And he puts her at his feet and he says, he says, Jesus, I believe that you can heal my daughter. But he says in Mark chapter 9, will you help me overcome my unbelief? Like God, I know that you can do a great work here and, and I, be, I believe it, but I'm doubting. And God says, at least you are coming to me, the source, to overcome that doubt and not anything else. <clears throat> you and I, as doubting Christians have two things that Thomas didn't have. We have the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Let me give you a couple of verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23. He is able to keep you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. Talk to Jesus about the things that you doubt. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. Do not lose heart in doing good because he knows that in due times we will reap if we do not grow weary. God, this is the season that I'm in. I'm discouraged and I'm doubting, but I'm trusting you. I'm standing behind the shield of faith. And he says, that's all I ask. Just let let me work. Help me to see it through. Now, number two, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, so let's say you got, okay, so I I speak back the words of God and and then I, I finally get to use the word of God. The helmet and the sword are gonna be tied together, okay? We're going to bridge these two together because your defense against doubt and discouragement and the flaming arrows of the enemy is the knowledge that you have in your head from the Word of God, and you get to speak back to the enemy. Now, this, this is awesome, (laughs) okay? This is Dave Dillon's uh, sword, and I, I think, you know, when we have seasons in the church where times are tough, I'm just going to walk around the hallways like this, be like, tell me your problems. Go ahead. Let me, let me know. I'm ready. Okay? Now, uh, uh, this is the exact opposite of, of what the, the sword of the spirit is. Okay? This is what you, you think about when you think about the sword of the spirit. And this, my friends, is useless in war. Like, if Jason Feathers and I were going to get in a fight right now, okay? Not his real name. <clears throat> <laughs> and I, I was going to use this. This is my defense against him. And I, I was like this, like, he's already got me, right? I mean, he's punching me in the side, and he's kicking me in the shins, because he doesn't fight fair anyway, and I'm going like this, and I'm still like, right? Okay, worthless. This thing is worthless. This has been sitting in my office for like three weeks, worthless, okay? So we think that's what it's like. You can come up and play with it if you want. It's not sharp, okay? <clears throat> anyway, you, not your kids, duh. Um So some of you guys are like, I'm going up after church. That sword's mine. Man, I can get you to come to the altar for swords, but if I say come to the altar for prayer, never mind. Okay, okay. so this is the belt of truth, all right? This is the Bible. Uh, This was actually given to me by Bethany. Um, She went to Guatemala and visited the orphanage there. This is actually a better representation of what you would have thought about in your head, okay? Um, When we talk about the sword, of the spirit, uh, we're talking about a, a small blade that's in a sheath that's attached to uh, the actual belt. Small. Now, if you were a Roman soldier, uh, this, this is your weapon of choice. Because it, it is quick, it is right next to you, and you can use it about 8 to 12 inches, so it would probably have been a little bit uh, uh, bigger. But we're not talking about a huge broadsword, we're talking about one that's carried in a sheath, okay? It's always at hand, it's ready for use. Uh, where do you find some of these swords at? Uh, Jesus in the garden. You remember Jesus in the garden? Uh, when the soldiers came to take Jesus away, they carried swords. Uh, we think about um, uh, Peter, right, who cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers. He does it with a sword. Now, the crazy thing about Peter is, I'm going to put this away because some of you guys are like, I don't like him up there waving a knife around. Um, <clears throat> and some of you are like, that's my pastor. I love him. Um <clears throat> Okay, uh, now the interesting thing is um, that's fascinating. My modern day example is something that we call a K-bar that officers use, which is something like this. I mean, this thing's like crazy fast. This is what an officer calls uh, their last defense. Because if you come on top of me, um, I'm, I'm just going to pull this out and I'm right there. Okay, it's quick. And so, so this knife is crazy sharp and it will do a lot of damage. And that's what a Roman soldier would do. So when uh, Peter... Um, hacks off the ear, right, of the soldier, he is one motion. He is, here comes this guy to take my Savior, and he is one motion. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, what happened? He's fast. You couldn't do it with this sword. You need something that's smaller, more accurate, okay? Now, James, we learn in the Bible in Acts chapter 12, he is killed by that sword. So why do we bring this up? Well, it says the sword, the interesting thing, that word sword is uh, a which is where we get our, our term machete, okay? But it says the sword is the sword of the Spirit, okay? Which is, that's not a good one, which is the word of God. Now, pause for a second, of the Spirit, when he says that, that word numa is the third person of the Trinity. I have come, Jesus says, to give you new life, to give you truth that will be a defense. And I want you to understand that this knife is going to be extension of my word. So you have to use it rightly. Now, by my own devices, I will use scripture to justify my own opinion every single time. I will use scripture to defend my sin every single time. But left to my own devices is not something that God is interested in doing. So he gives me a new spirit, which is the third person of the Trinity, which gives me power to know how to feel, what to desire, what to decide, how to think, how to act, how to influence. It is the nature of the sword rather than the source of the sword. So God says, this is not your defense. It is my defense that I'm giving to you by the power of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So you have to constantly become disciplined to be like Christ and use that sword by my Spirit, not your own spirit. You tracking with me? So it is not, it's not me that wields the sword. It is me, depending on God, to enlist that sword where needed in my own life as well as in the attacks that Satan throws at me. That word, word, is the Greek term that's translated word, speech, principle, or thought. In other words, your philosophy is not your philosophy. It is God's truth. watch this. This is how Jesus uses the sword. Matthew chapter uh, 21 verse 15. The religious leaders show up to Jesus, and they're angry with Jesus for allowing the children to refer to him as the Messiah. Can you imagine? I mean, that's like your son or your daughter coming up and and being like, Pastor Jordan, and giving me a hug. And and all of a sudden, some old guy or girl in the back goes, "Uh, I don't like that. And you're just dumbfounded with, like, why wouldn't you like that? Well, they might not like that because they have a bad view of what the church has done to children in the past. And maybe there's a similar thing going on with Jesus. But here, watch this. Jesus does not pull out the sword of the Spirit and respond on his own admission. He responds based off of what the Word of God said. Now we're going to connect the two. From the helmet to the sword. From the head to the heart. He responds back to the religious leaders and he says, Have you not read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have received praise? There is always a reaction to discouragement, doubt, or works of the devil by God's word in proper context through proper study in seasons of good times and bad. Jesus uses the sword of the Spirit to silence His enemies so that they would worship God, not so that He would win. Jesus never uses the sword of the Spirit so that He wins. It is always in hopes that one who is lost becomes found and one who is already found is edified and built up, that they become more like Christ. So many of us use this word, and we try to justify our own actions, and we try to do our own thing, and we're like, but the Bible says. And all you're doing is you're justifying yourself and not elevating your Savior. Look at what Jesus does to the Sadducees. They posed him a hypothetical situation. They thought it was going to be airtight argument. They said, listen, Jesus, this is what we think about uh, some of these things. And Jesus responds to him. He says, your mistake is not knowing the Scriptures. If Jesus has a high view of the word of God, so should his people. Jesus looks at him, he says, this is what the scriptures say. You don't know the word of God or the power of God, he says. Have you not read or what was spoken by God? Matthew chapter 22, verse 29. I love this. The Pharisees come back to him and they look at him and they say, oh, but Jesus. Oh, but Jesus, what about the Old Testament? Some of the Old Testament things. Jesus responds, how can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now David himself said in the book of Psalms, and the Lord says to him, quoting the word of God, never for himself, always for others. Man, that's tough. How many times have I pulled out the sword to defend myself when in reality Jesus is like, put it away because you're using it improperly. He says, why don't you pull that back out so that I would be glorified, so somebody who is lost would be found, so somebody who is found would be encouraged and built up. One who uses the sword well has to study the word to show themselves approved a workman who is able to rightly divide and apply the word of truth. Our ability to effectively use the sword of the Spirit depends upon our knowledge of the Scriptures, and our knowledge of the Scriptures will increase as we spend time reading, as we spend time meditating, as we spend time studying, and as we spend time, you ready for this? Memorizing the word of God. I know so many people who can give me the lineups of teams that will not matter in 20 years. But they cannot tell me the 12 disciples' names. I know people who can quote, myself included, the phrases from popular television shows of today and years past, but they cannot tell me where it says that the Word of God is powerful, living, and active. And uh, my heart just breaks. Because what we have looked at, we have looked at the Bible, the word of God, and we have said, this is something that I will access later in life instead of now. Shame on us. Shame on me. I've done it. God's word is so powerful and effective. That is where Satan's greatest offenses are mounted. Satan will do anything and everything to undermine God's word and those who preach and teach it. And Jesus makes it clear in the parable of the sower, when he very clearly says that Satan is quick to snatch God's word from the hearer's heart before it has a chance to take root. So one of my biggest prayers that I pray when I open up the word of God is, Jesus, would this take root in my life? Like what I'm about to read, would you just make it take root in my heart and my soul? Let it consume me and let it work in and through me so let's, uh, let's kind of uh, back up, okay, and summarize what God has given to you, Christian soldier. He has given you the ability when you wake up in the morning to devote and dedicate your day to him or to yourself. So when you wake up in the morning, who do you dedicate your day to? Is it to the Lord or is it lived out for yourself? If it is dedicated to the Lord, we will actively put on the full armor of God every single day. Bethany knows uh, a friend of ours, and, and she puts on the armor of God every single day. She walks through it in her bathroom mirror, and I think it's great. I think it's a great idea. So essentially what that looks like is we say, okay, God, it's your day. Uh, I want to dedicate my day to you, align my actions and my uh, words to to you. And so, God, I gird up my loins here this morning. I fasten the belt of truth, what I'm about to read in my Bible in just a few short moments. May that take root in my heart so that I become like Christ. Because I know on my own righteousness, I'm not, I'm not going to do very well today. Okay, And God, may I remember the words that you have given to me so that I have a defense against the arrows that come and may I in faith believe as I stand behind the shield of faith that you will extinguish the darts as they come in and even though the enemy pummels me may he get tired so that you can slay him as I stand firm with my footwear on ready to take on the challenges and know that I can can be victorious as the bible says He who is able to do far more abundantly uh, than we could ever ask or imagine. And God, if, 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 if you want me to speak, may I speak your words and not my own, so that those who are far from you would come to know you, and those who uh, know you would be built up, and they would grow in a relationship with you. Imagine what would happen if we prayed that prayer every single day. Uh, We were at a wedding yesterday. I'll close with this. And... um, I sat down uh, in the morning and I, I re kind of hashed out my charge. There's a lot of things I want to tell couples, but you can't tell them that in, uh, in the wedding because it gets weird. Um, <clears throat> and uh, one of the things that I was kind of hashing out is what is marriage? What does it mean to be married? And I was kind of wrestling with it and I was reading some definitions on it, they just weren't lining up. And, and what I realized was marriage, um, especially according to God's word, is the union of two people where they come underneath a covenant relationship, symbolically representing what it means to be in a relationship with God. They both are believers who have said, we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, and they say together, collectively, because we know it's not good for us to be alone, that we would go out and evangelize to those who are lost with our lives and our words and our actions and also build up those who are already found that our relationship would be a good example of what it looks like to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I looked at Bethany on the way home and I said, Can you imagine, can you imagine what the world would look like if we all lived out that way? Like if everybody was on point wearing their armor bent on those who are lost becoming found and those who are already found just being built up and realizing that they're not alone that that in their discouragement they're not alone that in their doubt they're not alone that he is faithful he is good he is worth it wow can you imagine and then i realized it's a reality it just has to start at the beginning of your day Remain focused and steadfast, and finally take up the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Wow. Let me pray for you, <clears throat> uh, God. We um, fall short of of your standards, and um, it's tough. It, it's it's super tough uh, because we do realize that there's um, arrows that are being thrown at us by by the devil and by his um, delegated authority. And we do realize um, that some of us have bought into those lies, and some of us have bought into those truths. And um, a lot of us here this morning are discouraged, and we doubt uh, your goodness and your faithfulness, and we find ourselves in seasons that are hard. Um, But God, I'm reminded of the passage of Scripture that says, now unto Him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. Here you come giving us a defense against the enemy and so many times so many of us find ourselves uh, just trying to do it by ourselves instead of leaning on you our Savior. So God, this morning we come to you collectively as a church, we come to you individually as believers in your son, Jesus Christ, and we ask that you would help us, that you would help us to not uh, try to live on our own power, but that we would live off your spirit, and that we would listen to you and to what you tell us, and that you would work in and through us and do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. And help us as, as believers, even myself here this morning, that this is its possible. It is totally possible. Help us not to doubt that you are working and you're doing an amazing work. We thank you for your church. We thank you for uh, your people. We thank you for the opportunities that we have, not the obligations, to share your word and that it builds us up. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name and your name alone that we pray.